0: People like to think that millennials are out to ruin the world. The truth is, we're just trying to survive it. Join me as I navigate through life the best way I know how, with a few laughs and a bottle of wine. My name is Josh Gunderson, and this is the Millennial Agenda. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Agenda. I am your host, Josh Gunderson. Y'all, what a crazy week it has been, which I feel like every week since forever has been crazy. But every time I think that the world can't surprise me with any more weirdness than it already has, boom, something new comes along. And this week it was in the form of the Internet banding together to cyber bully the muckety-mucks of Wall Street. If you're, if you're like me, you have never been more confused about the stock market wall street or really just the overall concept of reddit i don't get it somebody will need to explain it to me uh just at me on the twitter who knows but i decided i wanted to learn exactly what was happening because even though i i own stocks i have a stock portfolio it doesn't mean i understand anything about what has been going on with gamestop amc reddit wall street all of that madness Uh, this isn't something we ever learned in school and financial planning is probably something we should probably be thinking about anyway especially when it comes to investing and all that craziness because we've we've learned just how quickly things in life can change and sometimes having that extra money is probably a good thing so to learn about all of this i reached out to chuck jaffe who is the host of money life a daily financial talk show chuck is a veteran financial journalist and nationally syndicated financial columnist whose work appears in newspapers from coast to coast. He's actually the first non-millennial guest on this show, but we are giving him a pass because he's here to lay down the facts for us and give us some insight about what is happening on Wall Street right now and what we should be doing with our money. So without further ado, let's get to it.
1: Welcome to the Millennial Agenda. Uh, Thanks for having me, Josh. I I am a little old for Millennials, but I I love the agenda. So I'm right there with
0: you. Well, I've decided I'm justifying it that you are the parent of Millennials. And aren't we all just Millennials at heart at this point?
1: Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, would I like to say that 60 is the new 20? Sure. But uh, I'm afraid with the way I feel in the morning that, that, And and I'm not yet 60. I should point out, but that 60 will be like the new 80 in my case.
0: Yeah, but I well, I feel like uh, 20 is actually I think around Gen Z range. So you might be aiming a little bit too low. (laughs) So I don't know if you want to go quite there yet. I don't. I don't see you wanting to TikTok. No, kids.
1: No, I'm not. I'm definitely not, not TikTokking. Nope.
0: (laughs) I mean, who? Maybe financial advice on TikTok is what we need.
1: Well, I I think for most people. And, and I'll put it this way: it, 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 for most people, about as much as they should be thinking about their investments in the course of the day would be about as long as it takes to watch the average TikTok. If you watch two TikToks, if you take the same amount of time as two average TikToks to to spend time thinking about your portfolio, you're probably overthinking it.
0: Fair enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that in mind because I am so I'm gonna be completely honest in that I. Did not know any. I know nothing about the stock market, and I actually got into trading as a joke because of who I am as a person. And it actually all started at the beginning of last year when things were starting to really get a bit rough, especially in the stock market. And I was working for a restaurant chain as a bartender. And one day, one of my managers was looking at his stock. He owned stock in the company. And he's like, oh man, it really got down there. And I jokingly was like, you know what I should do? I should buy a bunch of stock and then I'm technically your boss and the tables will turn. And we kind of joked about it. And then I ended up selling a domain name that I owned. Somebody came at me like, we really want this domain. How about $800? And I was like, sure, I'm not using it. And then I took that 800 and invested it not only in the restaurant chain, but a bunch of things that I was interested in were a little bit lower. And I kind of looked at their like average high, average low, and did my research and just bought into things that I was like, okay, this seems interesting. And then I just completely forgot about it until the world went bad <laughs> this past week. <laughs> so that's that's essentially my experience well, in the stock so, market. So
1: let's ask the important question. You put mm-hmm. in $800 or whatever it was that you put in that you got from the sale of that thing, and you forgot about it how much was it worth when you remembered it about a week ago?
0: Um, I right now am up about, I can actually probably give you an exact number if this opens fast enough, look at you go. Um, I am up right now $930 because my portfolio has been all over the board this past week.
1: Okay, but up 930 means you more than doubled your money in a year. Yeah. In about a year. So you're up over 100% since you opened that account. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're doing great, John. (laughs) Now there's a lesson in that, which is while I would certainly not tell people, Oh, you should expect to get that kind of gains because the stock market historically rewards people with about 10% a year. Mm -hmm. Right. And it doesn't do it straight line. And in fact, if you get a hundred percent this year, there's a kind of what they call regression to the mean. You're likely to see that, Oh, well, in the future, maybe you won't be doing so well, but, what you got was not by trading wildly it was by buying something good having it go up and then in time or you're looking at it now you can decide what you want to keep and what you want to get rid of and there's a real lesson in that and and as much as we see everything and people have, i mean you know the market's hot when it's the first thing that Trevor Noah was talking about on the daily social distancing show which yeah. it was in the middle of this week mm-hmm. yeah and so and so ultimately I think that is, you know, people are getting this lesson and going, look at how much money people are making trading. You know know what nobody talks about in that is nobody talks about the losses and people are going to lose money here and they're going to lose a lot of money here. You, you need to understand that you are not going to be the guy who wins this necessarily. It's really tough to come through and go, I'm a great trader because Trading is really hard. It takes a lot of attention. It's something that the, the pros do it really well. And anybody else who you know, has a day job, who is distracted, it, you don't have to wait long to see that you, you can get in trouble fast. So the good news is everything's worked out. And oh, by the way, you have now doubled your money, more than doubled your money, and you're still able to go forward. And all you really have to do now is decide, am I hanging on to the names that I had, or am I selling and repositioning the money? But Lord knows the, the lesson that you learned was investing good. Look at how much my money grows.
0: Yeah. And that's been the really cool part. And I, as of right now, because um, a couple of the stocks that I do own did get sucked into the the craziness and were actually shut because I I have been doing it through Robinhood, which as far as I knew has been the, the best thing for me, because that was the first thing that popped up when I was like, how do I invest? And I was like, Robinhood looks good apparently now we're all mad at it but i'm just nodding and smiling at this point Um, a few of my stocks did get sucked into it and they've kind of wavered and i'm technically looking at losses right now but the stocks that i do have i'm really happy with and i know still have potential to grow as things start to bounce back because i i invested in royal caribbean i love cruising as anyone who's listened to me or followed me for a long time knows i love being just drunk on a boat and i know that Once they bounce back, hopefully that stock bounces back as well and makes me a little bit of money. If I can pay my rent, I'm happy.
1: Again, Royal Caribbean, you're doing effectively what I did for my children. So my daughters are 29 and 27. Mm -hmm. And when my kids were born and they had social security numbers, well, you know, babies at birthday times uh, when they're really young, they maybe care about opening the box, but they kind of like the box more than they like whatever's in it. Yeah. And so my feeling was, since my kids had grandchildren who were happy to spoil them, was that I would basically buy them stock and set that aside for them. And it would be their fun money. It didn't have to be anything that they did. You know, this wasn't like, oh, I'm saving for college. I did that separately. This was, hey, when you get to be an adult, you're going to have this slug of money. You can do anything you want with it. Want to travel? Want to buy a car? Want to do whatever? Do whatever you want. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, it's, you're going to learn about the benefits of owning stock. And as they grew, it went from, I'm buying things for them to let's have a discussion. What's important to you? What do you see happening? What are the trends you see with your friends? Right? Yeah. And, and those things made a difference. And if you, know, you like doing this, what do you think of the business? You know, you're a consumer at a very young age. So your ability to say, wait, I I understand it. This company looks to be doing well. What do I need to know about it? What more can I learn? It's great. And these days, by the way, it's easier than ever. And although Robinhood seems really easy, let me just point out to your audience that that to me, the easiest and the best is actually going to be either Schwab or Fidelity, which in 2020, both came out with something called, something about stock slices. For Schwab, it is stock slices, for Fidelity, it is stocks by the slice, I think is what they call it. And each you know has whatever service logo they put on those things, service mark. But the idea is you can buy fractional shares and say, oh, I wanna buy $5 worth of stock. Now you can do that with Robinhood too. Yeah. But part of the, hey, Robinhood closing out, people getting upset, et cetera. Robinhood is not as well capitalized as Fidelity, the world's second largest financial services company, or Schwab, which I think is the world's third largest, but maybe fourth, right? Mm -hmm. So you didn't have some of the trading restrictions or whatever there, and you still were able to buy fractional shares. But the great thing about buying fractional shares is you can pick a couple of stocks, and you can put in a buck or two every single week, literally a buck or two. So when I was doing it for my kids 20-plus years ago, I was paying brokerage commissions. I had to try to figure out how many shares I could buy. I couldn't buy fractional shares. I couldn't go, oh, here's 250 bucks. I'll put it into Coca-Cola stock. Mm-hmm. I had to say Coca-Cola stock is trading at $40 a share. That means I can buy you, you know, if I've got $250, I can buy you four shares, right? And What do I do with the extra 10 or what? And you had to work around yeah. some goofy stuff that is all gone and so the ability to now have an account and i'm not dissing robin hood i just don't believe that most people benefit a lot from trading and you know there's a lot of things if you are a millennial there are a lot of things out there that you have that are such tremendous advantages if you're willing to do them but you got to do them right like people ask me all the time about acorns and i'm sure you're familiar with acorns right
0: oh yeah yep
1: But for anybody who doesn't understand Acorns, Acorns is basically a a program that rounds up your spending on your debit card, takes that money and puts it into an index fund, a stock market index fund, and gets it out there. Well, great. So in other words, if you spend $2.28, it's going to round it up to $3, take 72 cents, and that's what it's putting in to the index fund. You do that all the time. Eventually that money does add up. You put it in an index fund, you're getting the stock market. Funny thing though, it's how do you consider the money just as much as it is, where do you invest it? So my youngest daughter got into Acorns and loved it. She's like, wow, it's really kind of adding up fast. Mm -hmm. But as it added up and she saw, she's like, I never thought it would get to a couple hundred bucks this quickly, she's plenty financially savvy. But she looked at it and said, wow, if my change is adding up this fast with a little bit of goose to it, obviously, it's my change and then some. Yeah. I'm going to use that on something else. So she determined in her head that, hey, when it gets to this point, I'm going to use this, quote unquote, change that I had and spend it. Unfortunately, the period where she got to where she was going to spend it was roughly the end of February in 2020. Oh. So the stock market went basically – down 20 to 25% in the last couple of weeks of February last year. Mm -hmm. So in other words, she was thinking, oh, I've got 300 bucks or whatever it was. And then she got there and she's like, oh, I got 240 bucks. Yeah. (laughs) Now, if she were saving long-term, what would have happened is when the market went down, she would have been buying more. She would have, like, that's called dollar cost averaging. You're putting your money in, you're buying it, whether the price goes up or down, and it works in your favor. But in this case, because she was taking the money out. And so all that happened, like I love keep the change programs, but they have to be aligned with what's the investment. In other words, if it's going to be long-term and you're not going to touch it, acorns, go for it. Stock market index, hold it for the long-term. But if you're going to need it in the short-term, that's the wrong plan. And it has nothing to do with, should you invest in the stock market? Yes, you should. But you shouldn't invest money that you need next week. In the stock market
0: that's i mean that's why I was, I was happy to have that extra money and i was like what do i do with it okay and then the world ended promptly
1: so should we delve in and, and help your audience understand what's going on here yeah so i because it's i've tried to
0: understand I'm, I'm pretty sure i do and i learned that sitting down and watching wolf of wall street wasn't actually going to help anything at all
1: now the one you should have turned to if you wanted help this week <laughs> would have been the big short and in the big short well when they got to really complicated things they would break away and have somebody explain it. So Mm -hmm. much of what's happening with GameStop right now and what's going on in the market involves short selling. And if I'm not mistaken, in the big short, when they go to explain short selling, rather than staying in the context of the movie and what the story is, they break away. And I'm pretty sure that's where Margot Robbie is actually in the bathtub, covered with (laughs) bubbles and drinking champagne and explaining to you what a short sale is. And I will be happy to give you a good explanation of short selling, Josh. But oh, I don't really think anybody's going to let me pass for Margot Robbie.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's, that's your TikTok video right
1: there. That's a frightening thought. <laughs> Even the idea that that's possible is one more reason why I'm not on TikTok. There we go. So would you like an explanation of short selling? I would
0: absolutely love one because I've read the internet and I still do not understand.
1: Okay, well, it's pretty simple. When you were buying stocks for your account and the way most people do, you're buying stocks in a company because you believe the company's going to grow in value. Mm -hmm. It's going to be worth more tomorrow than it is today. More important, it's going to be worth more 5, 10, 15. If I think it's going to go down or I think the business is in trouble, I can bet against the company. I can say, I want to make my money if and when this company loses money. So that's called short selling. If you're long, you're betting that the stock goes up. If you're short, you're betting that the stock goes down. Now you're going, okay, but how do I make money when the stock is going down? Tell me one stock that, that's still in your portfolio, Josh.
0: Um, I, oh, I'm i not going to go with Disney. I, I'll i say um, actually one that's um, being manipulated in this is uh, Sundial, the okay. cannabis company.
1: So you own shares of Sundial. If I think Sundial is valued way too much because people are too hyped up on the cannabis stocks or whatever, and I think it's going to go down. I can go to you and I say, hey, Josh, I want to borrow your Sundial shares. I'll pay you a little bit of money while I have them. So in other words, you're going to make a little bit of money just loaning me your shares. So now I've got your shares. And for the sake of this argument, we're going to say it's 10 shares of Sundial. Now, I should point out for anybody that wants to follow along, Sundial is Sundial Growers. It is ticker symbol SNDL and it's currently trading at 82 cents a share. Just for the record, you can't actually short sell stocks. It's really almost impossible to do it for stocks under five bucks, but we're still going to use it in our example and we're just going to round it up and say it's worth a buck. Okay. Okay. So I borrow your sundial shares and I'll say for the sake of argument, I'm borrowing a hundred shares. So, so functionally, I'm borrowing shares that are worth a hundred dollars sundial, does exactly what I expected to. It gets cut in half. It now goes down to 50 cents. I now buy back on the open market a hundred shares of sundial. A hundred shares at 50 cents only cost me 50 bucks, right? Yeah. So I buy back the hundred shares of sundial. I give you your shares back. But what did I done first? I borrowed your shares and I sold them. So when I borrowed your shares and sold them, they were trading at a dollar. I got a hundred dollars for selling your shares. Mm-hmm. When I bought your shares back and I gave them back to you, I only paid 50 bucks. That left $50 in my pocket. Yeah. Okay. Now, admittedly, you get a little bit of money for it because you loaned out your shares. But that's how you make money when stocks go down. Basically, you borrow the shares, you sell them right now. They go down, you buy them back, they're cheaper. Now, let's, let's talk about what's happening and put this in, that example to work and what's going on right now. I have a responsibility when I've shorted the stock. I have to get you your hundred shares back. Mm -hmm. That's called a cover. Josh, I know you don't do much with the stock market, but if I bought this stock at a dollar, if I took your stock at a dollar, well, more to the point, your stock at a dollar, what's the most you could lose per share? A dollar. Okay. But if I borrow your shares and I sell them today, what's the most I could lose? A dollar. (laughs) No, right? I'd lose a dollar a share. How if the stock went up to $2. Okay. Yeah. But what if the stock went up to $5? What if the stock went up to $50? What if the stock went up to $500?
0: Then you lose a whole lot.
1: Oh, my losses, Josh could be infinite. This is going to bring us back to why GameStop has gone so crazy. So okay. again for anybody who's doing this example at home let's give you a standard example. I take Josh's shares. I sell them for $100. The stock goes up to $1.20. Okay. I now have to buy back 100 shares. It's going to cost me 120 bucks to do it. Mm-hmm. So I've got a tw- uh, I've lost I you know the 100 that I got. Well now it's going to cost me 120. So I'm losing 20 bucks to be able to cover your shares. But again, that's 20 bucks. If the stock goes up to $1.50, I could have lost 50 bucks. Imagine that wait. I can't buy my shares back or the shares keep going up or at a at $1.20, the market's moving so fast that I can't get my order in. And every time I can't get my order in, well I normally wouldn't go like, "Wait, hold it. It's gone to $1.50. No, now it's $2. Now now it's $2.50." I don't want to lock in this horrible loss if I think the stock's not worth it. But if I don't lock in this horrible loss, my loss is going to get bigger. And there's an old saying about the stock market that really applies right now. It says that the stock market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. In other words, we're dealing with crazy right now. And the market, you can look at it and go, well, the market can't stay crazy forever. It doesn't have to. It just has to stay crazy till you have no money left. If it stays crazy till you have no money left and then it comes back to normal, well, you're just as screwed as you would have been if it could have stayed crazy forever. Stayed crazy forever for you. When we put this in the realm of GameStop, GameStop, for anybody who wants to follow along at home, is ticker symbol GME. And you know it was the retailer, you know, for video games, etc. Let me point out, I'm giving ticker symbols out. There is a, a fund that is ticker symbol clix clicks okay mm-hmm. and this fund i bet meets the josh gunderson theory of what would happen if you think about the stores right now it's the ProShares long online short stores etf so it's basically a mutual fund an exchange traded fund and what it does is it buys retailers who sell where, Josh? Where is it long? It's long online. And it's short. It's betting against stores, bricks and mortar retailers. Anybody who sells stuff online, this co- this mutual fund wants to buy those stocks. And it wants to bet against the stores that don't make their money unless you go into the store. Makes a lot of sense because how many stores are you going into right about now, Josh?
0: Uh, at the moment, Target. That's about right. Okay. It. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so if they were shorting GameStop, if they were shorting every other retail store that you went into, you'd kind of be like, yeah, pretty much I'm down for that. By the way, this mutual fund was up 90% last year. It's not, it's, it's an interesting strategy. So it's, so as much as people want to go shorting, it's weird. It's whatever. No, you, you can go buy something that does this for In that, well, GameStop is really a retailer that's a store. Yeah. And the same way you maybe wouldn't want to own The Gap or you wouldn't want to own Talbots or whatever, probably don't want to own GameStop. It doesn't make a difference. You know, I don't think if I told you, do you want to own, I could run every store through it and maybe Target would pass your muster, maybe Walmart too, but you're not going to go, oh, Macy's, yeah, I want to own that. Yeah. So. GameStop was being shorted not only by this particular, you know, funds like this one, Mm -hmm. but also by some hedge funds. We need to explain what a hedge fund is. A hedge fund is basically an investment pool that typically is only available to pretty wealthy people. As a general rule, you're going to have to prove that you got at least a million dollars before you can ever get into a hedge fund. Oh, wow. And hedge funds don't follow the same rules as regular mutual funds and they're also not regulated the same way. And so quite honestly, nobody feels much sorrow when a hedge fund has a problem because it's a bunch of wealthy people. And if they get into trouble, to hell with them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I can't feel sorry for somebody who buys into a hedge fund and loses their shirt because Hey, you made a decision that you wanted to go, you know, off the edge of the map. Right. In the old days, when, you know, the Christopher Columbus times, they drew a map that showed what they knew. And when they got to the edge, they basically would say, here, there be monsters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's what's happening here. When you, when you go to the hedge fund world, the hedge funds are, are big things. Now that said, your mom or dad, unbeknownst to them may have an interest in a hedge fund. They may have a pension that puts its money with a hedge fund manager. That's how a lot of people got caught up with Bernie Madoff, who was a scoundrel who basically ran a, a fraudulent investment. Mm-hmm. You got money from a lot of ordinary folks who could never have bought a hedge fund that he was operating. Their pension money was tied up in a hedge fund that he was in. In a hedge fund that placed money with Bernie. That's how okay. you have a problem. There are some hedge funds that they were out shorting GameStop, basically saying we think at eighteen dollars this stock is overvalued. Now enter Reddit. Now, at this Mm -hmm. point, I would like to point out that although I'm plenty familiar with Reddit, I would like Margot Robbie to come in in the bathtub and explain kind of Reddit stuff to me because it's never appealed to me.
0: Yeah, I don't get it at all.
1: (laughs) No, but it's like what used to happen before the Internet was this interactive. There used to be chat boards, et cetera, where people would talk about all sorts of things and people would at times get together and potentially manipulate stock prices. Now, one thing you should understand, while hedge funds are not regulated, two hedge fund managers are not allowed to get together and go, hey, I want to buy this stock. You want to buy it too? Let's see if we can make a run on that, make that stock run in our direction. Mm -hmm. They can talk to each other, but they can't coordinate like that. But a million people on Reddit sure can. There's nothing against the law about that. Now, that may change after all of this. (laughs) Because everybody's talking about, hey, it's the individual investor against the hedge fund. It's David against Goliath. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. When you got a whole bunch of people on Reddit and they're ganging up on you as they're allowed to, but you're not allowed to gang up to fight them back, it may be a David and Goliath story, but it's possible that the role of David is not being played by the people you think is playing it. Basically, what you had was a bunch of people seeing the shorts putting pressure on GameStop and... You know, it's Reddit. Some of them, I believe, were gamers and whatever going, what can we do? And the answer was, well, you can very cheaply buy some options that push the price up. Mm -hmm. The more they push the price up, the scarier. Remember, we had that example where suddenly we're talking about the short sellers and the price is going up and you're losing more money.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You now have to try to get out of your shares at a loss and you don't want to do that. And yet you may have to buy and push the price further up because you don't want to lose your shirt. So that's what was happening. It's called a short squeeze. Trust me, the price was totally disconnected from value. Mm-hmm. GameStop shares, I'm not going to tell you good, bad, or otherwise, because I haven't dug in to do an evaluation on them. But GameStop shares are not worth you know, some of the values that they were trading at this week, where they were yeah. flying around, et cetera. That was definitely not a reflection of what the company is worth. 18 bucks a share, that's a heck of a lot closer Mm -hmm. to what it's worth. And oh, by the way, even though you go, people are making a ton of money, I can tell you that on Thursday, I looked at GameStop. I I looked at GameStop stock five times. Mm -hmm. The first time I saw it, it was down 30%. The second time I looked at it, it was up 40%. The third time I looked at it, it was down. 30%. So again, plus 40 to minus 30. That's a big swing. Yeah. The fourth time I looked at it, it was down 60%. And oh, by the way, the fifth time I looked at it, after the market closed, Robinhood came out and said, hey, we're going to be able to reopen most of our trading on this tomorrow. And in after hours trading, it then gained another 36% or whatever. So it wound up only being down like 25% on the day. Mm -hmm. That's Speed with which you break your neck. Yeah. This is this is musical chairs. And if you are not the one who is equipped to figure out what edge you've got, you could lose a lot of money. The, the unsung thing here is that somebody beyond the hedge funds is going to lose a ton of money here. And it hasn't just been determined who, because the music's still playing right now. Yeah. If you want to be... If, if you think about it, Josh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see. I hope your audience will kind of get this example because I don't want to get too wonky. I want to keep it where you guys can understand it. Yeah. But if I told you, hey, Josh, we're going to trade stocks. You're going to buy something. You're going to sell something. You know, you're going to move around as you think. To make money, how often do you think you have to be right? Like if you made 10 trades, how many do you have to be right for you to make money?
0: Uh, I would think almost all of them.
1: No, definitely or, don't need to be all
0: of them. Or just one good one?
1: Well, one good one can work, and we'll explain that in a second. Okay. Most people think you have to make two good decisions, right? In other words, when you buy something, you have to buy it at the right price, mm-hmm. and you have to sell it at the right price. Yeah. And then when you sell it, you got to take your money and buy the next thing at the right price and sell it at the right price. So there's two decisions on every trade. And you're going to need to be right more than 50% of the time is what most people believe.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. But the guys who are traders, that's not how they think. They look at something and they go, I'm only going to buy something if I believe I can make, let's say 50 cents if my trade goes swimmingly well. I'm going to try to make 50 cents a trade. But if I'm wrong and the stock moves against me I will be out of it if I lose a nickel. So you're with me? I'm, I'm hoping to make 50 cents, but I'm only willing to lose a nickel. So okay. your, your first trade goes up. Oh, well, it doesn't go your way. Go, drops the nickel, you're out. Not waiting around to see what else happens. Second trade, same thing happens. Third, same thing happens. It goes all the way. And you only hit it on your 10th trade. But your 10th trade goes all the way up 50 cents. So you had one trade that made you 50 cents. 50 cents of profit. You had nine trades on which you lost a nickel. Nine times five is 45. Yeah. You lost 45 cents on nine trades. You made 50 cents on the one good one. You're up. You're positive. You were only right 10% of the time. So here's what I'm now going to tell your audience. And please, if you take nothing else out of this, think about this one. If that math that we just talked about, which was talking about nickels and quarters, Did not seem easy to you. If you didn't follow that example, clearly, you do not know enough to be trading in GameStop or any of the other things that are caught up right now. That you could be allowed to do it? That you could open an account at some place? Oh, absolutely. You are welcome to throw your hat in the ring, gamble that way, and put your money out there. But if you did not understand the simple math we talked about here, it's only a matter of time before you lose
0: that's and do do you think that's what's going to end up happening to a a bunch of these people now that i mean some people maybe got got in on that ground floor and they're up
1: it's really hard to know at this point but i think there's a whole lot of people who don't understand that they're not going to win this game of musical chairs the question is are they going to lose all the way down to nothing remember that we talked about short selling right do you, go, do you ever go to a, a casino, Josh? I mean, I'm sure that there are plenty of people in your audience who love to go gamble when they can, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I've you once liked the a cruise while. Ship, but... You, you like yeah, the yeah. cruise
1: ship, right? A uh, little gambling on a cruise ship.
0: Yep, been there, been there. Right,
1: so, so Josh, if I said, let's play roulette, you, mm-hmm. can, you can pick an individual number, you could pick red, you could pick black. What's your odds of winning if you said, I'm going to just pick red or black?
0: Uh, 50 50 50
1: yeah except there's at least one and frequently two green spaces on the board
0: oh i've never actually played roulette before
1: (laughs) well there you go so so intuitively 50 50 Uh uh-huh but in a roulette wheel that has 100 slots it typically has one green zero and one green double zero okay and that's a little thing called the house edge because the house always makes money oh yeah In any of these things, you have to understand how they work. And then that will help you understand because you think, well, hey, I got a 50-50 chance, except you don't. You have a 48% chance and 2% matters when it works against you. Yeah. So all of these things, I I frequently tell the story of, of the last time that I went to Las Vegas. I went to Las Vegas. I was staying at Bally's. I was there for a personal finance conference of all things. And there was a big flashing sign among the rotating things that would show up on their their board that would say 98% wild slot machines. Would you like me to translate that into English for you Josh? Yes, please. <laughs> a 98% slot is all a 98% wild slot is otherwise known as a 2% loser. Okay. What it means is, hey, for every $100 we take in we pay back 98 of them. OK. The house keeps two. Now mind you, that's great. When you get to Las Vegas and you want to play at the airport because you can't wait, <laughs> those are about 86 percent slots, meaning that the house is keeping, you know, 14 percent for itself. Yeah. The standard is closer to 93 percent slots. So what that truly means is if you went and played on a slot machine and you started with 100 bucks and you just kept playing, statistically, if you played long enough, you'd finish your night with
0: $93. Mm-hmm.
1: But what actually happens is you have some wins along the way. But if you keep playing long enough, eventually you bleed your $100 down to zero unless you make some money and you stop. Yeah. You make some money and you say, hey, I'm ahead. And then I'm going to put House Edge off on the other guy. Yeah, That's part of how that works. And it's what, if you understand the math, you can go in and it'll all be okay. If you don't understand the math, you go 98% wild slots, that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's marketing BS. Yep. (laughs) That's what that is. And so, you know, you think, oh, well, hey, this is great. No, no, no. When you get, you know, if you put in your first quarter and you win 50 bucks to make, a 98% wild slot pay, the next guy has got to lose his quarter. And the guy after that, 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 they've all got to lose because eventually those slots are only going to pay out 98% of what they take in. So if you had a big win, a bunch of other people have got to lose. Yeah. That's how that works. That makes sense. Stock market does a little bit of that too. It's not quite as rigged, Quite as rigged, <laughs> maybe a little at times. Acts rigged, although I don't generally feel that way. Yeah. So that's what we're going through. So yes, there's a whole lot of people. So now let's put this in the context of a real millennial investor, mm-hmm. so that folks can understand how would I suggest you handle things. Yeah. The real millennial investor is my youngest daughter. Her name is Whitney. She is now a doctor of physical therapy, living in North Carolina. And when she was seven, we bought Tootsie Roll. That's ticker symbol TR. We bought Tootsie Roll because she liked the candy. It's that simple. We didn't really look at anything else. It was buying stocks that my kids could know and understand. Now, Tootsie Roll is a small company. It's like family, a lot of family involved in leadership, has paid a reasonable dividend, and she's owned it for a lot of years. But it's never been so much as a $40 stock. She's got 15 shares. Chances are good that when we bought them, they probably cost 20 bucks. Okay. Over 20 years, however, well, they're now worth, you know, 35, 36 is where they've been. It's paid her a little bit of dividend along the way. So she's more than doubled her money in that time. She's got okay. her, her, you know, her shares are worth a certain amount and she's got the dividends as well that, that were paid to her. Well, Tootsie Roll got was an ancillary stock. It was not the one that was making a lot of attention. That was GameStop and AMC and a couple of others but it was in that group. I'm not quite sure why. And so here's this stock that for as long as she's held it, it's been stodgy, hasn't Mm -hmm. really moved a lot, never got over 40, and then it popped to $48 a share. So if it had been 36 and it went to 48, it was up 33%. So in real dollars to my daughter, it went from a little bit under $600 to being worth a little bit under $800. And then it dropped back down again, and then it went to almost 60 Jeez. And at 60 it was worth closer to 900 bucks. Yeah, yeah. So at some point, we had to have a conversation. Now, was Whitney anxious to sell Tootsie Roll? Nope. If it hadn't been in the news, she wouldn't have given it a second thought.
0: Yeah. It's
1: been there. stodgy. It's not impressive. It's not hurting her, and she's not looking to make some massive profit. Yeah. At the same time, there's no real reason for her to hold it because what do you think happens when things go, quote-unquote, back to normal? This stock is presumably going to go right back to where it was. Yeah, Not necessarily a lot lower than it was. There's no reason to think like, oh, after this you know, doesn't happen, it'll go back to where it was 10 years ago or something like that. It's just going to kind of go back to where the market said it was, before all this craziness happened maybe a little better maybe a little worse no big deal yeah so ultimately Whitney and I had a talk and she said well if I could capture a quick profit on it I'd want to do that and I said then that's what you do so my fatherly advice was place a limit order decide the price that if it touches it you'd get rid of it and be happy with the profit so she picked something around 45. It hasn't gone there since we did that. And she put in an order that basically said, hey, if the stock, somebody wants to pay 45 for this, take my shares first. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, remember one other thing about stock market trading. There is always somebody on the other end of your trade. If they felt the same way you did, you couldn't agree on a price. If, if you think a stock is going up, if, if, if we go back to your sundial Right.
0: Okay. Yep.
1: If sundial again, we'll use it as uh, round it to $1. If you believe it's worth $2, you probably shouldn't sell it to me for a dollar or 80 cents on the, you know, or a dollar 20, you should yeah. hang on till you get closer to your two bucks. Right. Yeah. Let's go the other way. You're buying at a dollar. I'm selling. If I thought it was going to two bucks, would I sell it to you for a buck? No, 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 I would wind up saying, hey, let's, let's, I want to buy some more of this. It's only trading for a buck. I think it's worth two. Yeah. Now there are market mechanisms. I've way oversimplified it. There are market mechanisms and people who basically have to be on the other side of the trade to keep things orderly. That, by the way, also happens with short selling, which is why if short selling gets really curtailed here, it could have bigger impacts. Stuff Hmm. that you don't really need to know that we would all need Margot Robbie to explain to us. In a bathtub. But but the bigger point that you should always think is that if you think something's going up, why is the person selling on the other end selling it to you? Uh-huh. And if you think it's going down, why does the other person think it's going up so that they want to buy it from you? It's It's hard to outsmart the market, which is why what you should do is what Whitney did. Hey, at a certain price, it's worth it for me to take that money and, you know, cool. I can reinvest it in something else, but I don't think I'm ever going to get a lot more out of Tootsie Roll. And by the way, if she winds up selling at 45 and then it pops back to 60 mm-hmm. okay, she missed out on something. That's not how you really want to think about it. She got enough that she's like, yeah, I'd be really happy if I got this. And yeah. then she was done. Because the emotions you need to worry about are greed and fear. Mm-hmm. If you're doing something because you're being greedy, well, that's not good. And if you're doing it because you're being fearful, like I'm scared that this is going to go down, well, then you'd never buy anything. Yeah. You need to be able to invest. But having those things out there, those, okay, you know, I'm buying, at what point, why is somebody else selling to me? It's not a bad way to think about it, especially for people who are beginning in the market.
0: Does it bug you as much as it's bugging me right now that we learn none of this in school?
1: Um, it has always bothered me that we learn none of this in school, <laughs> but we're also not equipped to, to teach it necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's not one of the lessons. So many things, not even about this, about investing, but how about just broad personal finance?
0: Oh, debt and all yeah. those
1: other things. I mean, look, We're set up as a society to teach bad money lessons, and it's gotten worse. I think your generation, and I say this as the parent of millennials, who I don't know if my kids remember the days when we intentionally paid the bills at the kitchen table with the kids around. We did that as my parents did that. because. So I don't know, like, Josh, did you ever see your parents pay the bills?
0: Oh, no, not at all.
1: Think about this. So so I'm going to ask like two more questions about your folks. Yeah. Did you ever see your parents take money out of an ATM machine? Yep. Did you ever see them put the money in? Nope. Now, that's not to say that they didn't maybe have a check that they deposited or whatever. In, yeah. your, mind, in your mind, you went to a bank machine and it gave you money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You never saw what went into making money so that it was there that you could take it out. Yeah. I'm not going to criticize your folks, Josh.
0: Oh, go for it. I but, do it all the time.
1: <laughs> but that's a, lesson, that's a lesson that, you know, if, if your kids see you paying bills and struggling to pay bills, and, and I really want to encourage your audience because their kids won't see it. Have the discussions in front of your children. Yeah. They should understand, hey, if we're thinking about doing whatever or we're having it, have the discussions. By all means, okay, anybody out there, we talked about stock slices, stocks by the slice, Schwab, Fidelity, but go ahead, I don't care if it's Robinhood. You've got a friend who has a baby, right? Mm -hmm. You want to get them a nice gift for the baby? Pick a stock, any stock, and buy them a few shares. Make it something that they're going to understand. Yeah. I wish it had been done for me. It wasn't, but my brother... Was, who was nine years older than me. My brother got a, a bunch of AT&T stock when he was born. Oh, wow. It was worth a fortune. Wound up being a big deal. And the interesting thing is my kids, you know, when they turned 21, had this passel of money. Yeah. I tell the story all the time about my broker. So I only, I don't need a broker at this point in my life. I could do it. I have my broker only. Because I want to have that relationship in case anything happens to me. I had a heart attack 10 years ago. I want my kids to feel that, you know, they have a relationship with Tom and I had a relationship with Tom, right? Yeah. So if anything were to happen to me, that's who they're going to call. And they're going to say something horrible has happened. You know, can you help me out? And Tom McKnight, my, my broker has known them his entire life. Yeah. A little bit. But the thing that Tom said was, I love the fact that I, that, I barely know your daughters. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's an odd compliment. (laughs) And he said, yeah, but most people give their kids money. Their kids come into money, whether it's through here's some money or it's, they bought stock for their kid or they did whatever. And when the kid comes into money, I get to know the kids really well. I get to know what they're spending it on. I get to hear from them all the time. Like they're taking a few more bucks out of this. They're selling that, or they need to buy this, or they want to go that trip, or they want to do whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. He goes, I don't know your kids because your kids don't call me for those things. And I'll tell you that my oldest daughter, several years ago, five, six years ago, I want to say now, decided that she wanted to move to Chicago. She had no job. She had no immediate source of income. She knew it was the place she wanted to be, however. And she knew that she had enough money that it would backstop her if she didn't find anything. Yeah. Now- think about yourself and your current employment situation. Mm -hmm. How many more choices would be open to you if you had a portfolio that had been put together for you instead of, Hey, we bought you stuffed animals when you were two. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about anybody's parents or anything else. Very few people do what I did. Yeah. But how much better off would you be if You know, there had been 20 grand or something like that waiting for you by the time you graduated from college. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, for all your friends, especially anybody who's like listening to this podcast, right? If they're listening to you, you want to do your friends who are having a baby a solid. You wait until they get a social security number and you give them a baby gift. And the baby gift could be Coca Cola stock, it could be McDonald's, it could be whatever. It could be, you know, McDonald's. Why? Because hey, as many times as you're going to have to buy french fries for this kid, you might as well have the kid make a little bit of money off of it.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. If my sister's listening, I hope she knows what my nephew's getting from now on. That's, just, that's Your birthday present is, is stock. It's happening.
1: <laughs> it's super easy to super easy to do. And, and oh, by the way, then you want to teach ownership, right? Yeah. The idea that if you've got McDonald's stock, you don't go to Burger King because it doesn't help you. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, if you have McDonald's stock and you go there and suddenly the food is terrible or more terrible than normal or whatever it is that you (laughs) think about it, you at that point should be thinking, okay, did something change here? Do I still want this? Like, if this is a problem, do I still want to own the company? Yep. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's nothing wrong with buying what you know. Yeah. In fact, a, a man named Peter Lynch, who's probably too old for, most of your audience to know, but was once one of the most famous money managers in the world. Basically made his fortune sort of talking about, Hey, you go to the mall, you like the pizza at Sbarro and you buy the stock. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not there because like, Hey, you go to the mall. Well, Hey, that, that mall's not doing so well right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it it, it, it may not serve you well for your entire life, but you know, and my kids, my oldest daughter, at one point, owned Blockbuster Video. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank goodness we sold that at some point, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, So they they learned. The good part was both my kids had success stories and failures in their stock portfolios over their life. Mm-hmm. So they're much more considerate about it now.
0: Yeah, because awesome.
1: the the problem is, you know, congratulations, you've done really well, Josh. I mean, over a hundred percent in about a year, awesome. Yeah, that's not what the stock market does for most people, but. I, I will tell you the same thing that, you know, I, that my worry for you would be the worry that my grandfather had for me. My grandfather, when I was a boy, my grandparents had moved to, to Miami Beach. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather took me to the famous Hialeah Racetrack for horse racing. It's where they have something called the Flamingo Stakes because they were famous for having flamingos, pink flamingos in the infield at Hialeah. And my grandfather said, I'm going to, you know, I I was too young for him to place the bets. He goes, I'm going to place your bets, but you get two bucks on every race. And of course, if you win, then you can use your winnings to to bet more. Yeah. So I wound up not really knowing what I was doing. I wound up winning a couple of times in like the first three races. Mm -hmm. So now my $2 or whatever, which wasn't even my money, Was like fifty bucks, which for an eleven or twelve year old is like what? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I wound up finishing the day up, probably sixty or seventy dollars. And my grandfather was worried that he had just turned me into a gambler. Yeah, I'd like to point out I've never purchased a lottery ticket for my own use. So I, I have, I've never actually purchased a lottery ticket. Period. But yeah, I have been responsible for someone else buying lottery tickets for an experiment we were doing. Um, so I don't think I've turned into a gambler, although I do like a good game of poker every now and again.
0: Fair enough, yeah.
1: But I understand how those things work and that's what you need to do. If it's the stock market, you need to do the same thing.
0: Yeah, I, and that's, I mean, I've been trying my best to learn because like when you, when you bring up like the lottery, the reason I don't play the lottery is I worked at a grocery store for a good 10, 11 years of my life and we sold lottery tickets and I saw what it did to people. I saw this one couple that just threw away so much money, day after it made me sick. I couldn't even talk to them because I was so disgusted with well, them. The,
1: the lottery, if, if we were recording this through my audio system that I use for my show, uh-huh. I would pull out a little sounder that basically goes, "The lottery, you know, um, scourge of the poor and ignorant." Yeah, that's yeah. indeed what it is. It's the the lottery is basically another form of tax. It's just that you volunteer for it.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. So, fuck, yeah.
1: You know, but that's that's where I think people, you know, again, you might look, and go, well, it's only a buck or two. You're right, but here's a, here's the thing. Like, do you understand the math? We just went through. You want to talk lottery for your audience, Josh?
0: Oh, why? Let's do it, please. Okay. yeah
1: <laughs> So, so how much do you think your lottery ticket? So Powerball and Mega Millions, right? In in January, we had these massive jackpots. Yeah how much do you think those tickets were actually worth, right? How much do you think an ordinary lottery ticket for Powerball would be worth? And and by worth, I mean, what's the expected value of the ticket? You're going to pay $2 for it, Mm -hmm. but but you're paying it with a hope. But at some point, somebody's got to win. So what is the expected value?
0: On my end or the government's end?
1: No, of the lottery ticket itself. Ah. So, so remember, remember that when it comes to Powerball, it's a one in, your, your odds are one in 292 million of winning the big jackpot. Yeah. Right. But you can win a bunch of smaller jackpots. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happens is it's, and this is what they should have taught us all in school, Josh, expected value in this case. So what happens is if, and, and Mind you, I think of lottery tickets as a waste of money, but I'll make a case, even though I don't like them, that you could should have taken a chance to break up your pandemic boredom.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: so expected value is a concept that basically projects something's worth, what it's worth based on the probability of predictable outcomes. So this is how financial advisors use historical return data to say, hey, if you save this much, or you use this investment strategy, you should be able to save enough for retirement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just expected value. Okay. So Powerball and Mega Millions, they both publish their prize amounts and they both publish very specific odds for every possible winning outcome. You get three balls, you win this much. You know, this is your, and, and this is the likelihood of it happening. You get five balls, this much, right? Yeah, yeah. So. All you need is somebody to go say, hey, what's the expected value? And I know somebody who's that crazy that he went and did that. Okay. So here's what you need to know. On an average-sized jackpot, just like, hey, it's the ordinary weekly drawing, mm-hmm. the expected value of a Mega Millions ticket is about 25 cents. And on wow. a Powerball ticket, it's about 32 cents. So remember we talked about playing slot machines? Yeah. Right? Right. You win the, you get the big jackpot, everybody else has to lose? Yep, yep. That's what this is. That's what this is. This is like playing a $2 slot machine. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to win little bits. A lot of people are going to have to lose. Yeah. That's oh, how yeah. this works, right? Yeah. So if I told you you're putting in $2 to a lottery ticket, but this time it's a pretty good deal, what would the expected value have to be?
0: At least two (laughs) dollars.
1: Bingo, you got it, Josh. You got it. So when we saw the jackpots get as high as they did, well, basically, according to my friend Charles Rotblat, who runs helps to run the American Association of Individual Investors, okay, every every time the Powerball jackpot gets to about four hundred ninety one million, and every time Mega Millions gets to five hundred thirty million, the expected value of tickets goes over $2. Now look, there's a bunch of things that he didn't factor in, like the taxes and or you're taking a lump sum versus a series of payments and other things. Yeah. So if you want to factor that in, don't buy a lottery ticket until the jackpots are north of 550 million. Okay. Now at that point, if you said, oh, I want to buy a bunch of lottery tickets, no, that would be dumb. And for people who say, I want to, you know, I buy lottery tickets for entertainment value. Let me point out that do you get the same value, uh, entertainment value with the second and the third ticket that you did with the first? The first, you're in it, et cetera. And let's talk about one other thing here. If I said, Josh, now you're going to wait. Next time the lottery gets above $550 million, you're going to go buy a ticket. Okay. When you buy that ticket, do yourself a real favor. Start by saying, okay, what would I do if I won the big jackpot? And make a huge list. So you're waiting until it gets to be $550 million. What would I do if I had $550 million? And then after you made this huge list of like everything you can think of, give more to charity, you'd do whatever, you'd buy a car, you'd buy a house, you'd go on vacation, you'd buy a jet, you'd do whatever you're going to do. Yeah. Everything you can think of. Then just take one zero off. Because what would happen if you, instead of $550 million, you won $55 million? Mm-hmm. Then, 5.5 then, then, 55, then five point five million then five hundred and fifty thousand then fifty five thousand then five thousand five hundred then five hundred right hmm you can do a lot less with five hundred and fifty dollars, but your web addresses might get you that and then some yeah you might get For, you know, somebody, a big stretch of overtime that makes you five grand extra, or you might have a windfall, or your grandmother might die and leave you Mm
0: $55,000.
1: I do believe that lotteries can help people prioritize their finances and their dreams and their wishes and make you say, no, if if I won $550,000. The first thing I would do is pay off my debts and you know make it that I no longer have to worry,
0: yeah, yeah, that's my dream right there okay
1: well so so guess what that also means that your dream has to include some of that when we get to lower levels, mm-hmm. right so because I don't know if you're ever gonna the the odds of you getting a five hundred and fifty thousand dollar jackpot are slim, but the odds of you getting a five hundred and fifty dollar or a fifty five hundred dollar are a lot bigger, yeah, so. You can use the lottery that way. But yeah, even if you wanted to justify it, (laughs) right? The expected value, the only time I would want to give $2 for something, at least give me expected value that is above that. Yeah. And by the way, having said that to your entire audience, (laughs) I would tell you, take the money you were going to spend on the lottery and put it into those stock slices and do that every week. And you will get rich. You will get rich slowly but you will get rich a heck of a lot more than you're going to get rich by putting that same dollar amount into lottery tickets every week.
0: Yep, that's that was actually that when I went back to work that was my plan. I was like I I refactored it into my budget and I was like this is this is how I'm going to do it and then I got laid off. So that that did not work out so well for me, but that was that was the plan and I I've tried to talk to friends about it too and I think now that we're we're finally people are talking more about the the stock market And now it's I it's one of the biggest things I've said to everyone in my audience over the last few months is that the past year has the past four years really has taught us to learn more than we ever knew. And I think that's a good thing. And I think learning about all of this now is a good thing. And so I hope I hope everyone gets a lot of value out of this. Because I just I like I if I could show you my notebook and just how many notes I took, even though I know I'm going to re listen to this, <laughs> I I think this is this is all like it's it's again all the things I wish we had learned in some sort of way. I wish my parents my parents had done things. I wish my parents had a lot of things differently, but I wish uh, really impressing finances on us had been a a bigger thing.
1: I I will simply say in in your parents' defense, there's a good chance that like most folks, they weren't entirely equipped. It, it's fair. not as parents, you know, we'll teach you to cook, but we don't go, Hey, you know, I really, I really stink at cooking. Let me teach you how to cook. Yeah, We teach you how to make the dish that we knew do the best or the thing that we do really well. And so many people aren't great at finances. So they're not great at, at doing it. And then, you know, there are a bunch of different things that can happen. I mean, trust me, I talk to people about money all the time. It's basically my entire job. I can tell you people that do stuff with allowances that, I'd be like, no, don't. Do-. By the way, at my house on Halloween, we give kids the choice of cash or candy.
0: I saw that. I saw that when I was, I was doing the research on you. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that option. I we, like We that. have a lot of
1: fun. We have a lot of fun trying to teach money lessons <laughs> with cash or candy every year. And it's a blast. And uh, again, I, I hope that my, the children, I mean, I can tell you the kid who won 20 bucks two, two Halloweens ago, his kids are going to know about it. His, these, they tell you about the time I went out on Halloween. I won $20. Went to this guy's candy and I to house for candy. And I came away with, but trust me, they're making decisions. And when you put it that way and you help them understand it, kids make decisions and, and start to factor in the money. And, and that's what you're finding and, and everyone else. And you know, what I'll tell your audience is that, look, if, if you've heard this and you thought wow, this guy you know, knows a lot or whatever, and I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, the sharpest tool in the shed. So. But your hope should be that as much fun as you have listening to a show like Josh's, if this becomes interesting to you, ride the wave. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you know, Josh and I are part of a group called FinCon, which is financial content creators. And I don't think I compete with anybody in mm-hmm. fincon because whether they start with a show like yours josh or they start with shows and i'm not going to name other people's shows on your on yours but <laughs> any of the people that that you and i know from fincon they can start on pretty much any of them and at some point if they go wow this really fascinates me i really want to know more i want to learn well my show is every single day of the week yeah basically 52 weeks a year and we're talking with these super bright super powerful lots of money kind of guys although we also do stuff like we had a great have a great show coming on monday uh, uh on monday the the first of february with a guy who's talking all about collectibles
0: mm-hmm. and by oh, the way
1: awesome. this is a guy who during the heyday of beanie babies was known as the beanie meanie oh god
0: <laughs> all right, well this is also coming out on the first so after you're done listening to this jump over and listen. I'm going to be listening because I (laughs) I, I I,
1: will give a, I will give a plug to mine. The show is money life with Chuck Jaffe. You can learn about it at moneylifeshow.com or you can find out about it on your favorite podcast app, presumably the same one where you found (laughs) Josh's show.
0: Excellent. I I mean, you, you led me into perfectly uh, to where we could, we could stock you. um, (laughs) And that's, that's it. I, I mean, I highly encourage it. I, I listened to a couple episodes this afternoon. Anywhere else that we can find you around the, uh, the interwebs?
1: Uh, if you search for me, you'll find my columns, but my columns are available at the moneylifeshow.com website, and we cover everything. In fact, if you want to find something on the lottery and you want to try to explain expected value, I wrote a column in the middle of January when the Powerball jackpots were that high. You'll find that at Money Life Show. There's a spot where it says Chuck's Columns, go there and you can find that and then you can get whoever is the margot robbie of your life to read it to you from the bathtub that spot where it's talking about expected values and then like you can play that out and be like wow that was a lot of fun
0: i i can't thank you enough for for coming on and doing this and taking the time this has been so enlightening for me and i now know if anything Financially weird comes up again as a topic. I know where to find you.
1: Oh, um, I'd love to do it again. This was a blast. And, and again, a quick message to your audience. Yeah, yeah, these are unusual times. Please be careful. It's not a game. Yeah. Okay. When people tell you, oh, I'm playing the market. You are not playing the market with your money. It is not play money that you're losing. This is not monopoly. This is real stuff. And fortunes can get wiped out and people are getting wiped out. Yes. Plenty of people are making lots of money, but that's kind of its own variation on the lottery. It's its own variation on what happens when you go to a casino. And remember people always talk about how much they make. They seldom talk about how much they lose.
0: Absolutely. I, yes. So, and I, like I did research, research, research. I did when I bought my stocks. Yes, yeah, Some of them are losing. Some of them are gaining i did my research i took a couple gambles that's it's gambling so it's but it's real it's real money I, I i see that and i hope other people do as well uh so again thank you so so much as usual you can find me on instagram at avoiding neverland my blog at avoidingneverland.com, twitter at josh gunderson my book you're doing it wrong a mixtape memoir is available wherever you buy books or through the link in the show notes You can find the millennial agenda all over your favorite social media on instagram and facebook as the millennial agenda and millennial ag pod on twitter you can now support the podcast subscribe at buymeacoffee.com you'll find that link in the show notes and receive all sorts of access to bonus content not only from the podcast but from my blog and other projects that i've got going on as well be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting platform thank you so much for listening and remember wear your mask
1: Again, think Margot Robbie in the bathtub. Except, yeah, no, don't think about me in the bathtub. No, really don't. Don't.